Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, Faith Radio family. Hour two of Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for today, filling in for this entire week, actually, as Carmen is away on a vacation with her family. Just so grateful for her and her friendship over these years, the way that she just so faithfully marks out so many of the important headlines that are going on, different uh, topics within families, within the church, and uh, and really does wonder about what life is like in God's kingdom, bringing Jesus's mind to bear in the midst of all of those. So we continue that Tradition is part of the morning show this morning. I know that we've already covered it quite a bit. We've got a big hour ahead, including Justin Gibney up in just a couple of minutes. Uh, he's with the ad campaign. I know if you listen regularly that you know him. And uh, we'll talk a bit about Juneteenth. We'll talk a little bit about unity and what it means to to not necessarily facilitate God's kingdom through the political sphere in terms of how we take sides in the culture wars. And that brings up a conversation that we started with in hour one related to a headline out of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, in which we saw uh, a a U-Haul filled with 31 white supremacists that were going into the midst of a gay pride parade in order to disrupt it, probably violently on some levels. And we certainly have seen a violence of spirit in in terms of approach coming from uh, one side of this conversation, for sure. The LGBTQ community tends to um, to disrupt through a violence of spirit and, and an agenda in a lot of ways. Not everybody. We're not going to paint a broad brush. Uh, it just means that there are dimensions of that that uh, clearly have a violence of spirit. And in response, people are responding, even Christians oftentimes, of the violence of spirit as well. We see that in, in the long history of how the church has handled these conversations in LGBTQ communities. And I, I think there's a understandable backlash that we're still living in, Paul Perot, of um, how the church... Even starting, we do a we do a section in my class um, on all of this, like the rise of LGBTQ mm-hmm. and the acceptance of it, and where did that begin? And and in many ways, it began and um, some threshold moments with what we saw in the AIDS epidemic of the 1990s right. in terms of the response to what was going on at that point in time. In in more a, a smaller section of our country in San Francisco, there was the sudden rise of HIV, uh, autoimmune deficiency syndrome. AIDS was breaking out. And the church's response at that time was along the lines of, see, this is God's judgment on all of this unnatural sexuality. And it's just even hard to say that out loud. It is, these things are inconsistent with God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. I, I will, I will stand my ground and, and I, I, I teach this. I understand it. I know the rise of it. I understand the psychology of it, all of those things. But that doesn't mean that the church's response was a faithful response in those 1990s. And I'll never forget when Magic Johnson, then of the Los Angeles Lakers, right who is now this prototypical heterosexual male that our entire country knew, 
also came out HIV positive. And suddenly it, it wasn't something about God's judgment, but we lived in that backlash. And then we see the movie Philadelphia where Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington normalized a bit more of the, of the community. And there's been this resistance, mm-hmm. understandably so, to how the church has proclaimed really horrible messages upon the LGBT community, even though it is inconsistent with God's kingdom. Right. And, and you just brought up the whole idea of messages and stories. You brought up the Philadelphia movie right. and it's like, okay, they're telling a story. Does it accord with the best of creational reality? How are we as the church telling a better story? I, you, and that's the, such an important point, because if you haven't seen the movie Philadelphia or maybe your kids or your grandkids don't know of it, I mean, I, I recommend it with caution, not as, as somebody who um, is, is approving of the movie, but it's a powerful story of Tom Hanks, one of the best known actors in the last 30 years. And and he comes down with HIV, and uh, and he has a lawsuit filed against him. And then Denzel Washington is his lawyer, and he's homophobic to begin the story. And it's this journey of Denzel Washington coming to understand Tom Hanks' story. And it's such a powerful story. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people took their cues of this is how we should respond in the ongoing evolution and embrace of all things sexual. And clearly that is inconsistent with God's kingdom, but the church at the same time didn't have much of a faithful response. We've been stuck in pornography and in unfaithful marriages and illicit sexuality exactly. on so many different levels. So I think when we, if we have an impulse to sympathize at all with the, the this proud nation white supremacist coming in to disrupt the pride event this weekend in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, I think it's a really instead it's an invitation to look at ourselves and say, how can we begin to not just tell a different story on sexuality, but begin to actually exhibit a different story of live sexuality? A, live a different story. Live a different story, indeed. So I hope that's helpful as some of the comments. There's so much more that we could say about this topic. I know that I'll be doing some work in different settings on that. I'll alert you to that as well as that comes to the table. We'll continue this conversation, too, with Justin Gibney next on Mornings Without Carmen. Eleven minutes past the top of the hour. Justin Gibney joins us now. Good morning, Justin. Hey, you guys. Be here, Keith. How's, how's it going? It's great to be with you again. I see that there is quite a feature for you on Yahoo News. That had to be uh, really pretty flattering for you. Yeah, it was good to see. Uh, you know, I think the Ann campaign is is doing some good work. We got a, a strong team, and it was good to see that recognition. Yeah, indeed. There is a, a quote that was pulled out as part of this article. I think it, it will help shape our conversation moving forward, but. You made this statement, Justin. You said, I don't have any allegiance to either side of the culture war. And, and that's confusing me, Justin. Aren't we supposed to be taking sides one side or the other? I mean, we're, we're kind of always pitted against one another. No, I don't think we're supposed to be taking sides. I think we're so supposed to be taking the right position. And mm-hmm. when we take sides, we end up sometimes taking the, the wrong position because we have more of an allegiance to that side than, than truth and love. And so, uh, yeah, I, w- I would push back against the idea of taking a side as if one side is always right and the other always wrong. I think what you just said is the most important discipline in which we can engage, and, and that is that uh, no political side has the corner market on the truth um, on either side of it. And to the extent, though, that we demonize the other people or moralize the conversation to the extent that we call everything good on one side or evil on the other, uh, I, I remember maybe seven or eight years ago, that the language of philosophical difference 
politically changed to a moralization of good versus evil. And and when we went to that moralization place, then why would you possibly have anything to do with evil? You wouldn't you wouldn't um, want to go out to dinner and talk about things. You, you wouldn't want to try to figure out what the other side has to say. That might be helpful. Um, have we underestimated how much we've moralized each side of the culture war versus just trying to think through what are the important dimensions of each side of it? Yeah, no, we, we certainly have. And I think we've somewhat conf- conflated what is, you know, partisan which, with what is, you know, Christian and, and, and theological. And so we don't know where our theology begins and our ideology uh, uh, ends. Uh, and that that is really problematic. We have to make sure that we're not making our political affiliation religious in nature. And that's happened so many times. Uh, so we, we have to trust, you know, we can't outsource what we believe to one party or the other, to one ideological tribe or the other. And I think we've done that, uh, as you point out, to a larger extent than we'd like to admit. Well, and the political tendency right now is that the pattern is that the Democrats tend to reach out to more of black churches and and white mainline Protestant churches tend to be solicited by the Republican side of things. So we're almost seeing some of the racial divides that we experience back and forth as having a, a political foundation underneath them. Um, do do we see some hardening racially along these political lines? I think we have. Um you, for the reason that you said, I mean, there's a lot of history that goes into it when you talk about the, the Southern strategy and, and all that. Um, black and white Christians in general tend to be on two two different sides of the aisle, especially those those of us who are uh, biblical and orthodox. And so we have to be able to have conversations across that. One thing that happens, I, I think, is unfortunate. It seems like we, we don't have conversations with each other. We have conversations through intermediaries mm. uh, and who aren't necessarily trying to make the conversation honest and uh, constructive. And so we need to speak to each other because I think we have a lot more in common than uh, others would have us believe. What would you say, Justin, is one thing, uh, and again, I, I hate to, to even position the question in this way because we're talking just in two broader brushstrokes. These are individual humans involved in every part of the conversation. But but if we do dial it back to maybe 30,000 feet or so in terms of patterns, what is one thing that maybe a, a, a white Protestant evangelical church could learn from uh, the black church? And what could maybe the black church learn from the white church back and forth? I know that spent a lot of time in inner city Chicago with the pastor that married us. And he regularly in his racially mixed church held conversations between the white people and the black people in the church. And, and those are some of the, the most difficult, but most fruitful conversations as they did learn from each other. So what could we learn from one another? There's so much we can learn from one another. One, one thing is I think just having a better concept of what justice and social justice is. I, I completely agree that there's some distorted versions of that out there. But at the end of the day, we should all want people to be treated with human dignity within society, within social uh, the social context. Uh, and I think if we sit down together and we talk about the history, we begin to see that things aren't as equal. The playing field isn't as as uh, even as we may think it is from afar. Uh, but it's hard to it's hard to see that sometimes when you're not in relationship. Uh, and so hopefully that, you know, if we build relationships, we can kind of see eye to eye on some of those things and, and learn from one another. Well, that's a conversation I want to come back to in just a moment, Justin. We're going to step away. But uh, one thing that maybe I didn't always appreciate until more recently in life 
is that in the Old Testament Hebrew language in which the Old Testament was was written, the words for justice and the words for righteousness share the same root. They are one, they're sort of two sides of the same kind of coin. So let's talk about that next with Justin Gibney here on Mornings with Carmen. Welcome back to Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for this morning. We've been talking with Justin Gibney about how we can bridge some of the divides that we have. It's a conversation we have with Justin regularly. Appreciate his wisdom on this. And Justin, there is a conference coming up about justice and righteousness. Tell our listeners about that. Yeah, Progressive uh, Baptist Church in Chicago, who's led by um, Charlie Dates. Dr. Charlie Dates is having a uh, a big conference about justice and righteousness. As you mentioned, justice and righteousness in the Hebrew, you know, have the same root are basically the same word uh, because they're connected. And that's one of the things that the AND campaign talks a lot about. We talk about righteousness and justice and that we shouldn't create this false dichotomy between the two. So there's some excellent speakers that are going to be there. Um, Esau McCauley, Lisa Fields. And so it should be a lot of fun. Is this going to be streamed live, Justin? Or can you access it without being there? I'm not exactly sure. I, I think it might be, but you know, sometimes they, they don't say until uh, you know it, it gets closer because they want people to be there. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, let's go into this concept a bit more about the intersection of justice and righteousness. I think for some of us that maybe grew up in certain kinds of maybe more what are called pietistic traditions, righteousness is seen as being morally pure on every possible level, and and, and I think there's a dimension of that perhaps. But uh, from an Old Testament standpoint, uh, righteousness and justice were wedded together. There was an expression of righteousness that needed to reveal itself in the justice around us. So you talk about trying to rightly order our definitions of justice and and away from some of the wonky versions of it. And on the flip side, we don't want to ignore justice. So, So what would be a faithful look at how justice and righteousness work together? Yeah, one way to put it is that, you know, if you're in a if you're in a society or you're in a space where there's a lack of justice, then there's a lack of righteousness, right? You you really don't have one without the other. Uh so when we think of being holy as as people, yes, there's a certain um piety that comes along with that, but we also have to figure in the love of our neighbor. We have to figure in, you know, what 1 John 3 tells us about love. That love is about self-sacrifice. We know what love is from who Jesus was. And so if we're going to be righteous, we have to sacrifice for others, which would include justice, which would include their well-being within society. When we separate those things, then we take away our, you know, the, our ability to love God through loving other people and sacrificing. Uh, and a lot of times when we just talk about righteousness, but we don't really want to talk about uh, justice, then it's really a matter of us not wanting to sacrifice. And we can come up with a million reasons why we shouldn't have to sacrifice and, and all this. But at the end of the day, when we do that, we're not being righteous. And so to me, that's how those fit together. Yeah, I think it's so easy to kick the can of sacrifice down the road and say, well, eventually I will get to that. Or maybe if I have a bit more resources, well, at that point, it's not exactly sacrifice. So right. do you have any suggestions? Or, or it's their fault, right? Yeah. It's not, exactly. it's not my responsibility. That's exactly right. So if somebody wanted to change their mindset and actually express that, do you have some some simpler, tangible ways that somebody could start taking some steps in expressing justice that maybe would be a bit more sacrificial? Yeah, I would, you know, if you have um, churches you know, that are majority people of color in your city, go have conversations, go build a relationship and see what justice issues they're dealing with 
and heavily consider standing shoulder and standing shoulder to shoulder with them as they confront some of those issues. Uh, that's a that's a good way to start. Go to your city council and see what issues are people are are um, are serious about or how people are hurting within your locality. Uh, those are easy places to start, but you have to inform yourself and you have to build relationships. Well, part of that can be done even this weekend. I know we're celebrating Juneteenth. This is still a relative, a relative recent development and, and, a, and a good one in our country in terms of marking this day. Uh, why don't you just for, for anybody who still remains unfamiliar with the celebration and, and what we do on Juneteenth, maybe take us into that and then we can go from there. Yeah. So, uh, when the slaves were emancipated, uh, not all, not everyone knew. And so particularly in Texas, slaves were not told that they had been emancipated until later on. And Juneteenth comes from that celebration of finding out that they ha- had been emancipated, even though it was after, um, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation, all that had had gone out. And when that happened, it still didn't necessarily change the way that we perceive of one another. It, it Legally, it created something different. And, and word got out, obviously, that there was a change in the way we're to legally treat one another. But but legal representation and legal policy doesn't necessarily change the human heart. And so Christians maybe could potentially celebrate this in a different way this weekend and how we treat one another. Because, Justin, I'm assuming that part of your experience um, being a, a black man in our country is that uh, there, there's a degree of suspicion with which um, people might treat you or you sense from other people. And, and how do we begin to overcome um, just even those divides of suspicion between us? Yeah, again, I think the answer is is prayer and relationship. Uh, and when we build relationship and partnership, doing so in a better way than we have in the past. I think it means uh, openness, humility, but also shared resources sometimes uh, and shared authority. If if one group always has to be an authority, if one group can always take their ball and go home, then that's not true relationship. That's not true communion in the Christian sense. And I think that's one of the hardest things, just human, uh, right? We were, I was talking with my family last night just about some relationships in our own life and and there is sort of this competitive striving that happens back and forth, and and it's usually a striving related to power, and uh, and and there's a there's a subtle competition that happens where you need to either be right or you need to retain the power. And again, Christians, um, as we talk about levels of empowerment, at the end of the day, this this can't be just a, a subtle passive aggressive back and forth battle for who gets what power. No, that's right. It can't just be an exchange of power. Um, the gospel shows us so much more than that. And in, and in fact, sometimes if you're going to be righteous, it's it's to be righteous while giving up power. Right. So Christians can never make our interactions with other people just about power. Now, power isn't always bad, but there's so much more to the gospel and to our discipleship. Well, and, and where power is important in this is that you do have to recognize when there are power deficits, just in terms of somebody's ability to enact their desires or somebody's ability to even act enact putting food on the table. And so even while this can't be a battle for power, you do need to have the kind of humility that recognizes, hey, there, there's certain things that I don't even have to think about in a given day, including food on the table, perhaps, or driving somewhere in a time where gas prices are just absurdly high. And um, to, to recognize that uh, there are people in our lives, regardless of our social station, that have less power than we do to enact just the ability to put food on the table. Yeah, that's that's right. We need to steward our power uh, faithfully. We need to make sure that it's it's used uh, for the love of our neighbors uh, and to look after their well-being instead of kind of 
uh, just keeping it for ourselves and using it for ourselves. And I think we all can do a better job of that. Well, and you talk about civic engagement, Justin. We can wrap it up here with this this point. But uh, this is where you, as, as a person, can use the the mechanisms of power to, uh, of politics to exercise a different form of power. It is possible to demonstrate somebody and something different in the political sphere. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the political sphere is, you know, politics touch everything. It, you even saw that it touches whether or not we, we go to church. And so it's one way to really have an impact on other people's lives. And I think if we are good stewards, we will engage in that um, in that activity. Well, I know what your future is going to look like in about two or three years from now, Justin, because we had a listener just text in and said, Justin should run for president. I'd vote for him for sure. So if you need a running mate, Justin, let me know. But we look forward to seeing you in 2024. Don't hold your breath. (laughs) Great to talk with you. Have a great weekend ahead and appreciate the wisdom. All right. Take care. We'll take a short break and come back and preview the last half an hour of Hour 2 of Mornings Without Carmen. Follow up from our conversation with Justin Gibney about how we see and how we treat one another. Mike texted in and said, I'm trying to remember that when I'm glaring at someone behind those eyes, I hate is a soul that God loves. This is uh, just really practical wisdom about how we can experience our days. I know, uh, Paul, this happens to me maybe a bit too often. It might not be necessarily hate, but there could be a frustration, uh, an impatience, a lack of care, maybe a bit transactional. On some yeah. level, but this is again a way in which we can just really practically represent or witness for our faith is people know it when you see them. Mm-hmm. They, when somebody feels seen, the room just sort of lights up, right. their heart lights up. This is a way Christians can, I, I see you don't have to necessarily say it, mm-hmm. but you know it when you do it. But you acknowledge it. it. It really goes deeper. I mean, yes, God loves. It's also somebody made in God's image, even if it is like us, all of us were fallen. Yeah, but still, that's somebody made in God's image. It, if you were to take a picture of, if I had a picture of Peter Kapsner and ripped it in front of him, now, Peter, what would you think of that? <laughs> well, I would probably be a wee bit wounded, Paul well, Exactly. I would be, yeah. Exactly. Even if, see, even if somebody had made it, it the, the picture wasn't the best, maybe it was tattered or whatever, but that very act is, that's what you're doing. When, you, when you're ripping somebody, you're ripping, you really have to be careful about how you're engaging and remember the God who we love and the fact that we are all as humans made in his image. It's so important. I talk with my young people week in and week out, and sometimes I ask them the question, when is the last time that you have felt authentically seen by somebody that when you walked in the room, somebody's eyes just lit up, not because of what you could do for them, not because uh, of anything you bring to the table, just for being you. And unfortunately, the response is uh, maybe for some of them, it's been a long time. So what Faith Radio family, as you're out doing your day, whether it's at a coffee shop, whether it's at work, whether it's with your family, at home with friends, even your husband or your wife, um, maybe just spend a second and see them today. Up next, we'll talk with Jason Romano about the power of forgiveness. Brought to the Father. About 24 minutes before the top of the hour, Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge today and the rest of this week. And we're joined by Jason Romano this morning. Jason is a former producer at ESPN. He now works for Sports Spectrum, magazine, podcast, author, editor, all of the above. Good morning, Jason. 
Good morning, Peter. How are you doing? Well, doing well. Looking forward to this topic. We're going to talk a bit about your book, Live to Forgive, in a, in a couple of minutes. We're celebrating forgiveness a little later this month uh, on Faith Radio Network. On June 29th, we'll be setting aside a whole day for it. So it's a timely conversation. But you obviously cover quite a bit of the headlines in the the realm of sports, and especially when it involves something about faith in sports. And I noticed uh, with with quite a bit of interest this last week that as Major League Baseball was engaging in Pride Month kinds of celebrations and maybe ways in which to market on their uniforms in particular, that the Tampa Bay Rays um, had a kind of a unique experience that seemed like it turned out okay. Yeah, it was an interesting one because, you know, Pride Month obviously celebrated in June and so many um, you know organizations want to kind of get behind inclusiveness. And listen, I'm the first that will tell you I think we should be loving people and serving all people, you know, as Jesus said we should do. But Pride Month is a tough one for many believers because of what Scripture says. And, you know, there were four or five guys on the Rays, Tampa Bay Rays, Major League Baseball team, that decided, you know, I can't represent this Pride Month, you know, with the logo on our jersey. So they decided to just wear their regular, you know, logo. They had a Tampa Bay Rays sort of Pride logo in the Four or five guys decide, you know what, this just goes against what I believe. So I'm going to wear, you know, the regular logo. And then, of course, a couple of the media caught wind of that and asked a couple questions. And, you know, the Rays have four or five guys, but they designated one specific person to answer sort of the questions. And it was Jason Adam, who is a pitcher. He's having a phenomenal year, by the way, really a breakout year for him with Tampa. And Jason is a friend, if I'm being honest, a guy who I've met on numerous occasions at different conferences a guy who I've had on our Sports Spectrum podcast at least twice, possibly even three times, if I'm not remembering correctly, but recently talked to him in January, you know, February, earlier this year. And this guy, you won't find a nicer, gentler, kinder soul than Jason Adam, right? I mean, he, he, is the ex- he exudes exactly what you would want to see in a person who's living out, um, you know, the fruit of the spirit, you know, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the gentleness, the kindness, the self-control, like this is Jason Adam to a T. And so I love that he was, you know, the guy that was representing, you know, the Rays and answering the questions. And I thought he did such a phenomenal job in the way that he answered the questions. He said, and he was open, like he he was unashamed, but he wasn't, you know, uh, demonizing or, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, just inappropriate or, you know, combative about the way that he, stands for his faith. He just said, listen, I love Jesus. A few of the guys here, we just felt like it was really hard for us to, you know, to stand up for something that, you know, scripturally is wrong and to, you know, represent sin in the way that the Bible talks about sin and what that is. So I just thought he, he represented himself really well. But if you go out into the secular media, you're considered a bigot if you answer questions this way. And, and Jason is anything but a bigot. I promise you that. He's just trying to live his life in the best way possible to honor God. Um, But a couple of really big time media personalities and some others came at him and actually challenged him and said, listen, this is your, the Jesus that you follow would not answer this way. And I, I kind of loved what Jason said. He said, listen, I'll sit down and talk to you about this. Like, I'm not going to fight with you over social media. I want to learn. I want to listen. I want to hear Let's get down, you know, let's sit down at a table and talk through this. And he he got a lot of pushback and a lot of, you know, 
animosity from a lot of people in the secular space, but that's what's going to happen when you make a stance like this. So I thought Jason represented himself really well. I thought the Rays actually responded really well and said, this is not going to divide our team. You know, they didn't, they didn't um, reprimand Jason for his you know response or any of the team for doing what they did. Uh, and I just thought it was overall surprisingly other than, you know, the social media world coming at you. I thought it was represented pretty well. And I, I hope more people are tolerant in that way, just as much as we are preached tolerance on other levels. Yeah, I, I took the same mental notes that you're describing right now, Jason, when I saw some of the way this was approached by the Tampa Bay Rays pitching staff, and especially the comments of Jason Adam. It was heartening to see so an older player, I mean, relative by my major league standards, 30 years old, be the spokesperson for this. And I thought, boy, he really has fairly graciously, uh, with some truth, represented the conversation. It's very different than the early 1990s in which the church was responding to some of the early rise of HIV and AIDS by talking in the horrible ways they mm. did about the gay community of San Francisco at that time. And so yes. right, rightly so at that time, I think the response uh, of the media and people saying we should not be talking this way. But in this case, I thought Jason Adam did a great job uh, of something. If you're listening this morning and want to see a response that would be helpful, I think just just catch Jason Adams' response, but even then, he was still taking some unfair shots, and, and it does mean that even when we're representing things in, in perhaps a, a more helpful, wise way, you're still going to be subject to, to taking some heat these days. Yeah, it's going to happen. I mean, listen, you know, not to get super, you know, scriptural here and, and biblical, but I think that's this is an important time to do that. You know, Jesus says in this world, you will have trouble. Like, if you stand for my name, there will be persecution. There will be people coming at you. Now, I, I don't know if I call social media trolls uh, persecution, <laughs> but in in a, in the first world country that we live in, in the United States, you know that's about as close as you're going to get in terms of people coming at you in disagreement. Now it seems like, you know, I think most people who know Jason, if you if you look at his teammates, you know, nobody really came and rushed to to his stance, if you will, you know, or, or to, to to defend Jason. But nobody really called him out either. I think most people are just kind of like, let me just stay on the side here and not ruffle any feathers either way. You know, a baseball team is really, you know, <laughs> it's a tough one because you're in the middle of a baseball season, a very long season. And, you know, it's a grind every single day for these athletes. And I think they're just trying to play baseball. And most guys that I know that play sports, you know, even though they have their political stances or their faith or their beliefs, they're really not trying to ruffle any feathers because sports, as I think I told you guys the last time I was on, it's the great unifier, right? Like you're bringing people from all different faiths and backgrounds and religions and political stances and, you know, ideological, you know, uh, mindsets or whatever. And you're coming together for a common cause. And I, that's why I love Jason's response. Like he, he wasn't calling anybody out or saying anybody's, you know, uh, a bad person or, or they get what they deserve or anything like that. He literally just said, I'm, I'm standing for Christ and this is not going to look great, you know, maybe for some people, but this is what I believe. And this is where I'm standing for. I'm doing it in love. I'm doing it with respect, but I'm doing it for Christ. He's first and foremost in my life. Yeah. Well said. Highly recommend Googling Tampa Bay Rays and Pride Month. If uh, you want to catch a little bit more about the comments that Jason Adam uh, presented for us as part of the uh, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Rays team. And, and just, thinking through how we can respond in ways that are graceful and truthful. It's not the perfect template, but it is helpful. We're chatting with Jason Romano this morning of Sports Spectrum. When we come back, Jason, let's get into your book, Live to Forgive.
Yes. Because we all make mistakes sometimes, and we've all stepped across that line. But nothing sweeter than the pain we find. Welcome back to Mornings Without Carmen. Peter Kapsner filling in for today, chatting with Jason Romano. Used to work with ESPN, now works with Sports Spectrum. You can see his work at sportsspectrum.com. Covers a lot of the headlines in which we see the intersection of faith and sports. And Jason, not only have you covered sports in your life, but uh, you've had a journey as a, as a Christian, a person of faith, um, specifically in the topic of forgiveness. And you released a book in 2018 titled Live to Forgive. And it, it was a bit of a personal memoir about your experience having to forgive your father. And uh, it, it's it's a compelling story. So take us into just maybe behind the scenes of the story of what gave rise to you wanting to tell this. Yeah, this is a story of a guy in Joe Romano, my dad, who loved sports, had three sons, but he also got addicted to alcohol and loved going out and spending time at the bars and, and drinking, which was common, I guess, in the 70s. And in the eighties, it might even be a little bit common today, but back then it was kind of not frowned upon. And, you know, I grew up with a dad who wanted to love his sons properly, but alcohol just got in the way and it caused a lot of damage, a lot of friction, a lot of brokenness in our relationship, both for me and my two younger brothers. And, you know, throughout the years, as I grew into my twenties and my thirties, and even into my early forties, that relationship just kind of spiraled out of control and got worse. Uh, my dad could not control his drinking as he got older into his 50s and 60s. Uh, mental illness kind of kicked in and he was suffering from depression, which when you combine those two things, depression and then, you know, addiction to alcohol, it's not a good combination. And my dad was really at a low point in 2013 uh, where he just didn't want to live anymore. I tried to end his life and, uh, you know, I'm grateful that he didn't succeed in that and he's still alive today. Uh, but, you know, I, I suffered through a lot of pain from my dad, certainly, but also a lot of um, personal anger and bitterness towards him, towards, you know, God, even though I really didn't know or have a relationship with God until I was in my late 20s. You know, I, I was very angry, I think, towards everything that had come from what my dad's choices were. And, you know, finally, at some point, I was about a, 10 years into my faith journey. In 2011, 12, 13, when I finally started to like dive into what forgiveness was about, and even then, understanding Jesus's love for us, his forgiveness that he offers to us every single day when we go to him, I still couldn't turn around and do what Jesus kind of called us to do, which is for, forgive others uh, as God has forgiven you. And I couldn't do that with my dad for many years until he hit that low point when he didn't want to live anymore. And I began to have empathy for my father for the first time in my life at 40 years old. I began to see him, I guess, in a way that God sees him, which is, you know, as his son, as his child. And, you know, for many years, seeing God look at me and thinking, oh, I'm this successful ESPN guy who's married and has a kid. And then seeing my dad, who's, you know, this guy who ruined his life with alcohol and bad choices, uh, you know, God doesn't work that way. Like he sees all of us the same. And it was at that moment when I finally was able to forgive him. And I tell you guys, when I forgave my father, it had nothing to do with my father. It had everything to do with me. Mm -hmm. I was the one that needed to be released from the pain that I had caused, but also from the chains of bitterness that I was keeping myself in because I refused to forgive him. And once I did that, and, and again, it wasn't like this instantaneous moment. It's been a process for 
you know, gosh, nine years now, which is crazy, but it's been a process. But at the same time, I just felt free. You know, if you want freedom, and the Bible talks about this, forgive others who trespass against you, right? Like that's the Lord's prayer there. And that is true. I, I found true freedom uh, and the bitterness and the anger towards my father over the years has dissipated to the point where, you know, it's just not there anymore. Mm. Jason, I've been part of the Faith Radio Network for uh, several years now. I've been in, in church work and in classroom work for the better part of 25 years. And I think what you're describing is one of the most common patterns of topics that come up. That people have been wounded in life, and sometimes grievously so, whether it's a betrayal or whether, as you described, by a father who disappeared in, into the mental health issues and, and, uh, and, and yeah. alcoholism, all of that. And, and I think people have a sense that if they're going to enter into forgiveness, it's something that should just be a one and done kind of deal that they decide to forgive on a Friday and they feel fine on a Saturday. But you just said something <laughs> I think really compelling that it's been a nine year journey for you and your, and your book unfolds some of this. Um, can you, do you have any ideas if somebody just wanted to start entering into the process of forgiveness? Cause it really is a process. How did you start? It sounded like you just, you really wanted to, f you, you knew you needed to feel the wound and, and look at it really deeply. Yeah. And you know what? That didn't, take place even in the beginning instance of when I finally forgave him. I mean, it, it, I guess it did, but I really didn't take a take time to unpack all that until I began the process of writing this book. And when I started writing Live to Forgive in 2016, I, I realized that I still hadn't fully, truly entered into this complete forgiveness aspect of my father and me in our relationship. I knew I had forgiven him. I had verbally told him that. I had shared this with others, but there were a lot of wounds that I had kind of stored in a box and put it up in an attic and hoped that I'd never have to pull it back out. That when I wrote this book, I had to pull that back out and really examine it. And like you said, feel that pain, um, evaluate the trauma that I had been through. Uh, and then there's the transformation process, right? I think for somebody who might be struggling right now with forgiving someone who hurt them, my my first step, what I would say is acknowledge that, like say that, just feel that pain and acknowledge that you've been hurt. And if you're a follower of Christ, go deep into the scriptures, like pray and, and talk to God and then see what he has to say about forgiveness. You guys know this, Peter, he, he is not, God does not sugarcoat, Jesus, I should say, does not sugarcoat forgiveness. <laughs> like he talks about the fact that if you do not forgive someone who has hurt you, my father in heaven will not forgive you. Now, that's harsh because a lot of us have been hurt pretty badly, but it's also Jesus bluntly saying, here's the deal, guys. <laughs> this is how this works. That's why I really truly believe when I talk about forgiveness at churches or conferences that this is not me speaking. This is my story, but we have to examine what God talks about and says, and he says, listen, you will find true freedom when you walk in a, in a journey of forgiving others. And you know, if we're ever going to be more like Jesus, it's by forgiving those who have hurt us, because that's what he does for us each and every day. Yeah, I have that passage echoing in my mind, Jason, where it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> and to, to be right. offering forgiveness, it's no wonder uh, it's so sober-minded uh, of God and of us to say, look, we need to be people of perpetual forgiveness. We need to learn to walk in that. It's not an easy journey, and, and I, I don't think you and I can emphasize enough that that it is a journey, um, that, that it doesn't necessarily, you don't feel the freedom and release from all of it immediately. But I'm guessing in the process, you did begin to experience the first tastes of some healing. Can you describe a bit what that was like? I did. Yeah, it was good. It was healing for me more than it was healing for my relationship with my dad and I. 
because I needed to be free. And I just felt this heavy burden, this weight, uh, this bitterness and anger just kind of, you know, slowly dissipate away. Now, I, I tell people this all the time. Forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation. It does not always mean that. I'm grateful in my situation that it did. And my dad and I were able to reconcile. I think part of that journey of him and I and the relationship that we have now is healing, healing for each other, healing for ourselves, healing for the relationship, and also healing in our relationship with God. But I think, and I, again, I preface this, some relationships are just not repairable, but that does not mean where reconciliation is impossible, that forgiveness is. It always is. Forgiveness is, is mandatory, as I just talked about and what God says, but the relationship, sometimes it's just too damaged to repair. I'm thankful that my relationship with my dad was not too damaged to you know, be repaired. And, and we have a good relationship now. It's not perfect. And that's why I say it's a process, because every day I have to re- remind myself, remember, Jason, God has forgiven you. So you need to forgive and continue to forgive your dad and forgive others. But again, it's not perfect, but I'm glad it, that it's not where it used to be. Yeah, indeed. Talking with Jason Romano this morning, the book is Live to Forgive, Moving Forward When Those We Love Hurt Us. Again, Live to Forgive. Highly recommend picking up a copy of this. Jason, we're out of time for this morning. Thanks for taking the time uh, to kind of walk us through the process of forgiveness. Yeah, Peter, thanks for having me. Always appreciate being on with you guys. Yeah, indeed. It's mutual. We'll take a short break and wrap up our show here for the 14th of June. So glad to start the day with you this way as part of the Faith Radio family, fixing our eyes on Jesus together. I I so appreciate what Jason had to say about the process of forgiveness. I know I referenced it as part of that conversation with him. I I think it is one of those things that we as believers are trying to sort out. Uh, There is betrayal. There is hurt. There is pain. There is sorrow. It is a journey of grief and of tears in this world Uh, of that we all share the experience. And and I think for many of us, we think that forgiveness just means that everything is going to be fine that next day, but it really is a journey. It's a journey of ongoing healing. And one last piece of the puzzle here from Revelation 21, uh, we see that um, the great promise is not that all of our tears are going to be wiped away in this life, but our tears one day will be wiped away. So as we experience that healing, uh, at least in some part in this life, as we offer forgiveness and, and freedom from bitterness, it's a taste of that which is to come that is chronicled in Revelation 21, where John records that he saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And a loud voice from the throne said, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said this, I am making everything new. It's those promises that we hold to. It's that hope that we profess. It is that life that we demonstrate that bears witness to the now incoming kingdom as we offer forgiveness to others in this world. Have a great day, everybody. We'll catch you tomorrow on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.